Yep. Oh, hello. Can you hear me? <laughs> all right. Just so you're all awake, <laughs> we're going to read the Bible now uh, from Psalm 95. So if you would like to grab a Bible from up the back, it's on page 279, um, reading Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at the day of Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. Hello again. Uh, let me begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we invite you to speak to us. We ask you to change us and transform us. And we ask you, Lord, that even when we leave this place, that you will sustain us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Forbes Health magazine, they conducted a survey just a couple of years ago uh, regarding New Year's resolution. And they say about 64% of people make some sort of resolution at the start of the year. Uh, only 8% will be successful in achieving them by the end. Uh, and within a month, almost 20% will fail. And just within the couple of weeks, about 11 would have failed and given up already. Uh, which means if the statistics is right, then it means that at least half of us here would have made some sort of resolution. Uh, it, and I can assume safely as well that because we're Christians that we'd have, we would have made a promise regarding reading our Bible, saying our prayers, or being part of some sort of ministry in the church. But that also means that, that maybe 10% of you would have failed in that resolution already. And why do we do this? Well, because every year we somehow assess ourselves at the end of the year and we measure, we measure ourselves, our spiritual growth, and often we're not happy with our progress for that year. And so we tell ourselves that next year will be better. I will make myself better next year. And normally we do this by some sort of spiritual discipline that we say that we're gonna do more devotion, we're gonna commit more in church, we're gonna be going to church even more um, because we know that creating some sort of a discipline will help us to grow. Uh, again, it's the end of month already. That means that if you're trying to read your Bible for the year, that you would have been in Leviticus by now, and I'm sure that you would have been struggling already and maybe have given up already. And so today I wanted to talk about something that will help us with our Christian growth and maybe help us to be sustainable for the year. And I want to talk about the very essence of the Christian experience, and that is our Christian worship. See, unless, I believe, unless you really understand worship, you can't grow 
in your faith. Because as we will see, worshiping is everything that we do. We, we are created to worship. And as Christians, our life is about worshiping our Lord. And see, the book of Psalms is really all about worship. And now today we're just going to look at Psalm 95. But uh, I think we can apply all these principles throughout the Psalm, throughout the Psalms. And I want to show you something about worship that will really help you with your Christian growth. That if you understand them and if you do them, you will really grow as a Christian. So let me give you three things that we can learn about worship in Psalm 95, but also in, 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 in other Psalms that will help you with your spiritual growth. And the three things are these. You need to understand why we need to worship, what is worship, and how do we worship, right? Why we need worship, why is it important? What is worship, what exactly it is, what's happening when we do it? And thirdly, how do we, how do we worship properly? All right, so let's begin. Why we worship. And leave, let me give you this, um, this definition. We need worship because it connects what we know to what we do. That worship creates a bridge between knowledge and our character. Okay? It creates a bridge between our knowledge and our character. Now, let me explain. See, when it comes to spiritual growth, uh, a lot of the times we think that if, you, if we understand the Bible enough, that if we know more spiritual tru truths, from reading the Bible, then we will grow. And we do. But often we equate biblical knowledge quickly to spiritual growth. That if we read good books, if we listen to strong preachers, strong teachings, and so on, that immediately we will grow. But I find that the most common problem that Christians struggle with is not getting more information because a lot of us, a lot of them already know what is true. They understand a lot of doctrines, a lot of principles, and so on, Bible verses, but it doesn't really affect their lives. It doesn't affect them. That their Christianity is all in their head, but it doesn't show in their lives. See, because just because you believe on something, it's in your head. I believe it. I believe that Jesus died for me, that he died for my sins. So it's your beliefs. It's your set of beliefs. But the Bible then says that you need to believe this, but then the Bible often says that then you should have this. You should have love, joy, peace, patience. You should be honest. You should be courageous. You should have humility and gentleness and, and generosity in your Christian life. But why is it so many people have all these beliefs, but they don't have the character? Why is it that they know it, but they don't leave it? That they, they know they need to be more generous and loving and compassionate or sharing the gospel, and yet you don't see these things in their lives. The answer is there is a gap between our beliefs and our character. And if you want your beliefs to actually produce character, that you have to drive them into your heart. And that is, do that is done through spiritual disciplines. It's done through worship, that you need something that engages not just your mind, but your will and your emotions and so on. That you can't just know and understand the Christian faith cognitively. You need to experience it. You need to feel it. You need, you need to know it deep down. And to do that, you need spiritual disciplines. You need worship. Now you're wondering, what do you mean I need worship? Well, a good example is our church service. See, as a church... 
as Christians, we have a set of beliefs. We have a set of beliefs here in our church. And what we do in our Christian service is that we sing those beliefs. So it engages not just our thinking, it engages our feelings, our, our imagination, it engages the body, you engage your voice, you engage your mind, you're singing your beliefs. When we take communion, what are you doing? You, you're engaging with the truth, with your taste. And then we're praying our beliefs. We're, we're studying the Bible together. We're looking at the, the Word of God, trying to make sense of our belief and how it applies. Even preaching is not just a, a dump of information to you, but I'm trying to capture your imagination. I'm trying to persuade you in your hearts. See, in a church service, we're, we're trying to make the, the doctrines, the information real in your life. Because information by itself does not, does not, it doesn't compel us to change right away. We need to bridge the information into action. See, that's why even turning up to church, but having the wrong attitude and motivation will not do either. Because unless you're engaged intentionally, unless you're open, unless you're, 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 you're here regularly, you will struggle to grow. And that's the bridge that, to, to, bridge, to bridge your belief down into your life. Otherwise, there will be a disconnect. Unless you're doing that, your faith will be inconsistent at its, at its best, and you'll be a hypocrite as a, in its worst. Because your beliefs are not going to show up in your character. We know that the Pharisees in the, in, the Bibli- in, in the Bible, they have a lot of information, they have a lot of knowledge, and even their good works, it's not done out of sincerity. Why? Because it's not drilled down into their hearts. Um, I guess a good illustration is like mining uh, with explosives. You, if, you, if you mine, you, you want to dig deep and break down the ground. You don't just, you don't just put the, uh, the, the explosive on top and detonate it. No, they, they, they drill down. They make sure that it's all the way down in the mountain. And, that, and then they explode it. And it's very much the same with our beliefs. You might say, oh, yeah, I believe in Christianity, but you don't have worship, you don't have prayer, you don't read your Bible, you don't have any other Christian discipline, fasting or journaling, you don't come to church, you don't have any spiritual friendship or accountability. If you're not doing those things, you're not taking your beliefs and putting them deep down into your heart and allowing it to explode in extreme joy and peace and patience and love and gratitude. That's why you need Christian discipline. That's why you need worship. So second point, so what is it? What is worship? In a way, we've started talking about it already, but here's the definition. Worship is ascribing ultimate value to an object, and again, it's engaging your your mind, your heart, and your will, your whole being as you do it. That's worship. What it means is that it isn't worship, as we said, unless you you engage your whole person. For example, look at verses 1 to 2. You're told to worship joyfully with the emotions, to shout, to sing joyfully, and so on. It's very expressive. Verses 6 to 7. Now there's bowing down in worship, kneeling before God, being under his care as a shepherd. And here we can see that worship is about submitting your will. You're supposed to bow. You're supposed to surrender. You're supposed to kneel. That's not, that's not talking about emotions of joy. It's about submission of your will. You're supposed to surrender to God. You're supposed to give your life. 
it means you're allowing God to make decisions in your life. And then even verse 7 and 8, it says that you have to listen to His voice. Again, you have to, to engage mentally. You have to use your mind in listening, but then opening up your hearts. So there you have it, your mind, your will, your emotion, every single part of a person is engaged. Which means, realize this, that if you have a lot of Christian truth, biblical knowledge, but you never ever see the beauty and the glory of the Lord in your inner being in such a way that it will just melt, it will just melt you and make you weep. In other words, if you, if you have strong belief, but without feeling then it's not worship. It's the same way you, you, you don't just love your spouse logically. You have to love them emotionally. Or if you have a lot of feelings, lots of emotions, you come here to worship, you're, you're constantly happy, you're weeping, you're singing, and having all these great emotions, but you don't have knowledge, you don't have truth, then you might be creating a cult. Or if you have lots of emotions, and you have all these great feelings, but there's no submission of, of the will. It doesn't change you week after week. You're just as grumpy when you leave. You're just as bitter. You're just as anxious. Then you're not submitting and changing. It's not worship either. Because worship is an engagement of your whole being. And that's why you don't just worship on Sunday. You don't just worship in church. The Bible says whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. That's worship, an engagement of your whole being all the time. Now, secondly, going back to our definition, and here's the essence of it. Worship is ascribing ultimate value on something or someone. See, the reason why it engages your whole being is because whatever you're, worship, whatever you're worshiping, you're saying to that something or being, you're saying that you are worth it. That you're saying that for me, this thing is priceless. That I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop feeling for it. I'm submitting to it. Worship is when you give yourself to something or someone. Your, your full self. You know, where the word worship comes from? It comes from this old English word. Worth shape. It's, it's to be shaped by something. And that's what worship is. You look at it and you say, this is so valuable. This is so important to me that if I have it, then I'm worth something. And so it shapes you. And see, everybody, everybody is doing that. Regardless of your religion or your belief, everybody's doing that. You're ascribing worth on something all the time. If you say, look, if I just achieve that, if I can have that, then my life will be something. Like today, I feel that I feel a nobody, but if I have this, I'll be happy and I'll be, I'll be content. I tell you what, that's worship. You're looking at something and you're saying that this thing is basically my God because you're worshiping it. You're being, you're being shaped by the worth of it. And again, everybody has something you feel like is really worth worth more than anything, that the, the, the pearl of great price is in, is in this thing, that everybody has that. Remember the first commandment, God says, you must worship me and not something else, that you shall, you shall have no other gods before me. He's not just talking about like another deity or another being, that he, he's saying that you shall not ascribe any other value to something or someone aside from me. 
Because everybody builds their lives, everybody gives their hearts, sets their hopes, and ascribes ultimate value to something. And everybody is pouring their lives, their time, their money, their aspiration, their worth into something. Why? Because as we said, as I said, human nature is that we're created for a purpose. We're created for something. Everyone is trying to find this meaning in life that you, you, you have to look either at your career or your money or your lover or any person or your family or your professional acclaim or your art, but everybody is looking for something and you're saying that if I have this, then I'm worth it. And that's worship. Therefore, what the psalmist is saying here that if you really want to change your life, you have to take your, your hearts and your mind out of this something, and you have to give it to God. You have to re-aim and refocus your worship. And you know what repentance is? Repentance is basically saying that I will now change my worship. I will change the direction of my worship. And see, unless you start with that, you're really not worshiping. You know the, the television show, um, Antique Roadshow, uh, it's something that I put on just before the news comes on. Uh, it, if you know, it's a, it's a British television, at, at, at least it was originally a British television, where people can bring in their old antiques or their jewelries, and, and there's a professional historian, or I don't know what they call it, an, an antique person who will value them. And every time someone gets an, an appraisal of this thing that they bring, the first question is that the historians will ask, well, how, do you, how did you get this piece? Where did it come from? And then off the, often the, the owner will say, well, it was given to me my, by my great-great-grandfather, and it's been sitting in the garage for the last 50 years. It's been tucked away in a drawer or something. Uh, it's basically worthless for us, so we just you know, hide it somewhere. And then the historian will you know, excitedly say that, you know, this goes back in the 17th century. It was owned by like the royals, worn by the princes of Wales, and blah, blah, blah. And so he will be so excited, and he will be so thrilled that this lost piece of jewelry that was, that was you know, useless to them, will then, he will then give this estimate value of tens and tens of thousands. And the owner will be shocked and excited and really leave the place really joyful. Do you know what the Bible is saying? That a, not, a lot of people in the world believe in God, but they don't really understand the value of God, that they're no different. They're just as selfish. They're just as messed up as everybody else. Do you know why? Because for them, God is this piece of item in their garage where, yes, I know it's there. Yes, I know he's God. But for me, he has no sense of worth, no excellency, no beauty, that it has never dawned on these Christians, that it has never changed them because they've never seen who God truly is. He has never taken, they've never taken him down right at the center of their lives and allow that truth to explode in there. I don't know if that has happened to you. Because unless you have proper worship, unless you're pounding that truth into your heart, it won't be shaping you. That everybody is, is shaped by the worth of something that Everything in our world is trying to compete for our worship, our house, our career, again, our family, even our retirement, our money, anything. You have to stop worshiping these things and allow God to have that ultimate value in your life. And so we have to ask, you know, what consumes our time? What do you meditate on? What are the things 
at night when you can't sleep, what are you thinking of? What do you dream about having and achieving? What are you so passionate about? What do you submit your life to? Because that will be your God. That will be your worship. And see, look at where the ultimate value is in Psalm 95. Verses 1 to 2 says, Come, let us sing for joy. Let us shout aloud. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Why? Why? What triggers all this joy and praise? What triggers all the singing? For the Lord is the great God. Verses 6 to 7. Come, let us bow down. Let's surrender ourselves in worship. Let us kneel down before our Lord, our Maker. Now, what triggers all this submitting and change? For He is our God. He is the shepherd God. What's the psalmist doing here? He's thinking, he's calculating, he's treasuring the goodness of God, thinking about God and His greatness. He's meditating on the wonderful and beautiful characters of God that it begins to change his life. Christian worship is ascribing ultimate value in God. It's about thinking and meditating and saying nothing else is great, nothing else matters aside from what I can receive from God. That He is my ultimate joy, He's my security, and my complete satisfaction, and nothing else can do that aside from Him. And I'll tell you what, you can't get there by just reading your Bible five minutes every week. You need to be saturated by it. You need to be surrounded by it. You need to fill your mind and you need to move your heart. We need worship because it turns our knowledge into reality in our lives. Worship is ascribing ultimate value in God. So how do we do that? How are we supposed to worship? How do we worship properly? There are three things I just want to point out quickly. If you're going to worship properly, you need all these three. You have have you need to worship corporately you need to worship rhythmically and you need to worship restfully firstly corporately just saying that it's a, it's a group uh, as a as a community um, again look at the psalm psalm 95 or look at all the psalms that it's all often it's always in plural let us worship not let me worship come let us worship it's an encouragement to all everything is us it's all us now why is that important because if you want to know someone a lot better, you don't just try to spend more time with that person one-on-one. -on -one. What you do is that you get that person and you look at how they interact with other people. That if you have a good friend, for example, you think, you know, you think, you might think that, yeah, I know them pretty well because we always hang out together. But if you look at how they hang out with their other friends, you'll see a different side of them the way they, they interact with other people. And see, that's the same thing with God. God interacts with people differently. He's a personal God, a relational God. If you want to know God more, you look at what He's doing in other people's lives. You look at how He responds to other people. Because you'll be missing out if you don't worship with other Christians. And that's why we share testimonies, that's why we share prayer points, and that's why we do life groups. Because we get to know God a lot better with other people. It is difficult, or if not impossible to know God, unless you're corporately praising, corporately praying, corporately studying the Word of God, or corporately even serving. You have to do it with others. You will never know, or you will never know Him fully at all. Or you might get a distorted view of God just trying to figure Him out by yourself. 
Now, secondly, you have to do it rhythmically, meaning that you need to have some sort of rhythm. As we've mentioned before, notice that there's praise for the first five verses, there's submission, there's confession in the middle part, and then there's listening to God, to God's word at the end. There's praise, confession, hearing God's word of grace. And often in Psalms, you will see that routine, that, that rhythm. You see, God's greatness and his greatness will lead you to repentance. Your repentance will lead you to encouragement. Your encouragement will lead you to obedience, right? You need to have rhythm in your worship. Routine is good. Commitment is great. Being structured is good. Rhythm in your prayer, rhythm in your devotion, fasting, Bible study. I mean, our church service, it's a, it's a rhythm. We're doing the same thing all the time. Why? Because here we find true worship. And lastly, corporately, rhythmically, and lastly, rest. And here's what rest is about. The last part of Psalm 95, it's about an event that happened in the history of Israel because they, they didn't listen to God. God said, you can now enter the promised land, but they were scared. So their entrance was suspended. They wandered in the wilderness for a while. And every day, for that 40 years, every day they had to get up pack everything, and move again every morning. And basically, they were carrying their livelihood, their lives at their back as they, as they pack and move. So imagine all the anxiety and difficulty that they were facing. So what they needed, they needed rest. They, need, they needed peace. They longed for the promised land where they could just settle down and have their own home in their, in their own farms and so on. And then Hebrews 4 in the New Testament says this, that even today we have the same problem, that we're still burdened, we're, we're carrying our lives on our back, that it's, we're burdened by our career, by our relationship, we're burdened by our family, burdened by our society, and most, mo most importantly, we're burdened by our need to save ourselves. Then it says in Hebrews 4 that Jesus Christ came to become our high priest, that he came to pay the, to pay the penalty of our sins, that he lost everything, that he came and suffered and lost everything in an infinite cost. It was paid with an incredible price, his life. Yet in Isaiah 53, when, he, when they're describing the suffering servant, when they're describing what Jesus has, has done, it says this little line in there, in Isaiah 53, that the results of his suffering, he will see and be satisfied. Or in the ESV, it says that out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And I find it really interesting. It's saying that after he suffered, after he was burdened, after he carried the sins of the world, and after that, he was, he was looking back, and he's basically saying, what I've done, the results of my suffering, it was all worth it. The results of my suffering, I can see... It's so valuable and it was so worth it that he was shaped by the, by the worth of something. Now, what was that thing that he was shaped, that, that, that he valued the most? I mean, what's the one thing that he didn't have? Like he's the Lord of the universe. He had everything. What is the one thing he was looking at to make it all worth it? He was looking at your eternal salvation. He's looking at you. You are his prize. He treasured you at infinite cost. And he says, you're worth dying for. You're worth all the suffering and all the pain. You are my treasure. See, when you realized that you're his treasure, if you, 
if you drill that down into your heart, you will begin to see him as your ultimate treasure. And then you'll start to really worship. Then the great burden will fall off your, fall off your back and you will find rest. Worship is ascribing ultimate value to God. But that's only possible if you realize that on the cross, he paid the ultimate price because he valued you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we cannot understand why would you do such thing, give up your only son for us. That when we were your enemies, that we have no worth because of our disobedience to you. You gave up your son for our sake. And Lord Jesus, we don't know why you left the comfort of heaven, why you gave up your life to die in our place so that we can be reunited with you in heaven and have eternal life with you. Again, Lord, we cannot comprehend that sacrifice and that incredible love and grace. All we can do is to drill that, that down into our hearts and realize that we for you in, in your eyes, O oh Lord, that we are worth it. So Lord, help us to make you our ultimate value. Help us to give up our lives for your sake. Because when we do that, we, we find incredible joy and peace and satisfaction and security in knowing you. So Lord, help us to understand what that means in our, during our week and help us to meditate on that during the week. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.